Join us as we unpack emerging trends and changes in digital transformation with the executives, entrepreneurs, and investors responsible for shaping the future of their industries. In these interviews, you can expect to hear candid conversations about the future of technology and the role it plays at some of the largest organizations in the world. Our hosts are members of the Kunai team, an agency that has been building software products for over 20 years. Today, your host will be Tom Baldwin. Hello, and welcome to the Kanai Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Ofri Rome, Head of Data Science for Zen City. Welcome, Ofri. Hey, Tom. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Looking forward to the conversation today. Ofri has led data science and fraud programs for leading companies, including Thomson Reuters, Here Mobility, and now Zen City. Ofri has several patents in signal processing, natural language processing, and machine learning. Today, Ofri leads the data science team for the leading platform in local government data decisioning. Ofri, let's start with your career arc and how you came into your position. Sure. Um, so I did my master's degree at the Technion. And at the end of my degree, I started working two days a week in a company, uh, in a startup company that is uh, doing app recommendations uh, while thinking on continuing an academic career. I found the industry to be amazing. Uh, it's, like, um, it's like a theme park for data scientists. You have amazing data and amazing opportunities. Um, I was the algorithmic engineer over there. I did all the algorithms uh, for about two years. Afterwards, I moved on to Thomson Reuters, um, to the research team. I was an NLP researcher. I did various stuff over there. At the end of my time there, I started leading a small team, trying to take our abilities in English to other um, languages, mm -hmm. uh, mainly Japanese. And uh, we were supposed to do a POC within nine months to see if it's possible. After three months, um, we surpassed any threshold anybody put there. After nine months, it started serving uh, Asia, basically. Um, then I moved to uh, a company called Caru for two months, where I focused mostly on fraud. Um, it got closed in a very sudden way. And... The 30 people that were in the Israeli branch um, got sort of equi-hired into here mobility. Um, we got a mandate to create a new business unit, and I was um, in charge of recruiting all the data scientists. Um, we actually recruited an amazing team over there. Uh, it's the first time I started leading a group. Um, we recruited 21 research engineers and researchers from various fields. We had four different um, products in various fields and sell a lot of patents in a lot of fields. Um, Very cool. And after three years over there, I decided it's time to move on and I wanted to get into a head of data science position and I, I moved to Zen City and that's where I am today. Terrific. So, um, uh, uh, awesome. You, you started your career, um, you built it along the way, and uh, my um, hiring 21 research engineers uh, at, at one time, um, knowing how uh, just uh, 
in demand that need is. Um, what were the things that you looked for? What were you offering that um, had so many talented engineers uh, decide to join up? Yeah, it's actually a great question. I think th there was a very unique opportunity in time uh, in a company that built itself as a rocket ship from scratch to 250 extremely strong engineers all over. Um, what we had to offer in the data science was actually versatility. Unlike a lot of other companies when you, where you come and do NLP or vision or signal processing, uh, we actually offered come on here and do it all and learn from the best researchers in each field. And even if you're an expert in your field, you're not necessarily going to work on it. You might be mentoring someone while learning another field. And that was very appealing for a lot of people, me included. And I think that helped us uh, get such good talent in. And once you get good talent in, then it's even easier to get good people. Fantastic. Um, <clears throat> so uh, uh, when I think about data science, I tend to think about the the two major areas. I think about data uh, grooming and data induction. And then I think about the algorithm and how the two come together to um, create an analytic um, and, and that both continue this grooming process. Do I think about it correctly? Are there other insights that... Uh, that you might offer our listeners? So basically, I think you are thinking of it correctly. Uh, data is an ongoing process where you, first of all, get the data and real world data is messy and you have to groom it and you have to process it uh, mm -hmm. up to a point where you can actually create products from it. And that's exactly the algorithmic part. So I guess that that is correct. And I would say there's another sort of branch and more an analytical branch where you take the data and instead of trying to create products out of it, you're trying to create insights out of it and help drive the business in correct directions. So that's usually the separation. So you, you separate out the idea of product and insight. Can, uh, can you tell us more? Yeah, sure. Um, for example, um, there's the entire section of BI, uh, business, business intelligence. Over there, you can find a lot of people who do data science and do predictive things, uh, but mostly they're directed on helping the business take the correct decisions and understanding how the products affect the customers. Um, on the other hand, you have the core data science teams where usually they're either part of an ongoing product or they're trying to create innovation and new product uh, directions for the company. Did, did that answer? I, yeah, yeah. So, so one is a, a little more business intelligence and um, and insight and visualization, and the other might be more just product. Um, yeah. Uh, say a digital product. Is that? Yeah, let me demonstrate on, um, let's say, Inzensity. So okay. Inzensity, it's actually a very interesting product where we create sort of a BI system for our clients, for the local governments. Um, but in order to do that, we have to take a lot of unstructured data and enrich it to help people make decisions. 
right? Mm-hmm. You can, in a sense, you can look at our customers as sort of the BI um, analytics who are sitting on the data and trying to, to take better decisions for the residents. Um, well, what we're doing, we're taking the unstructured data and we're enriching it and we're processing it, um, which involves a lot of algorithmic uses, such as sentiment and categorization and extracting locations. And then later on, um, they can use the product that takes our data, enriches it, and allows uh, crunching the data in various ways to make smarter decisions. For example, what are people thinking about mask wearing uh, during Corona times? And part of that process. So what I'm I'm seeing more and more is that um, companies or government governmental organizations like what you work with are uh, uh, doing less gathering of the data, munging the data, grooming the data. They're buying curated data along with curated algorithm. Um, is, is, is that where Zen City plays? And do you see that happening in the market? And if so, talk a bit about that. So I think our clients are, uh, there are various uh, kinds of clients. And, um, you know, if you're a small city, then it might be a bit harder to, uh, in some cases, to get people who have a data science background to do things. And in some cases, smaller cities do have such people. Um, so some clients do actually acquire our, our, our system, you know, as is looking at aggregations and stuff. Um, and sort of getting a snapshot of what's happening. For example, looking at a word cloud. What are people in my city talking about right now? Uh, on the other hand, you can see super users. You can see some of our clients going into the data, crunching it, asking questions, asking for um, more uh, more features in the product. So I think it really varies and depends on the people. So, some of our clients actually started taking data science courses. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see very interesting trends in local governments, in that sense. Uh, absolutely. Um, so when when you talk about different types of unstructured data and in, enriching it and gaining sentiment, um, uh, can you provide maybe an example or two? Sure. Um, so one of our main data um, data sources is actually social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and other uh, smaller social media sources. Mm-hmm. And over there, you can think about challenges with such data. It's uh, not necessarily good English. It's not necessarily English. It might be a mix of several languages and emoticons, etc. cetera. Um, so that's one sort of challenge. Another sort of challenge is um, take local media where you have great English, but you have very long text and it might talk about various things and then say, yeah, and this city handled Corona um, very well recently. Might say, it might be very, um, have a lot of criticisms to, criticism towards um, other cities and bring your city as a good example. So now you have like a very bad sentiment all over the article. 
but a very good sentiment for our client. So that poses another challenge on how, how do you even define sentiment on such cases? Uh-huh. Very, uh, uh, that is an interesting challenge. And I, I would assume it takes a lot of training the data as well as training the algorithm. And I, I introduced a new word training, um, uh, to the, the vocabulary here. Um, uh, is that, uh, is that a correct way of looking at it that you're training the data and training the algorithm based on the, the sentiment and quality of the data and other aspects? Yeah, um, that is correct. A model is as good as the data you give it. And, uh, that on, on its own is a challenge, how to curate high quality data. And it's something that, um, we are facing every day, how to create good quality data. And even if you have good quality data and a lot of it, it's not necessarily good enough because take, take COVID, for example, before March last year, there was almost nothing on it. On, on all our sources. And suddenly health became the main category. And it's been like that for, um, for a year now. And um, the models, if, if you don't build adaptable models, if you don't train them all the time, then they're simply not going to be good when something as drastic as that happens. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a part of our lives and our challenges. Uh, absolutely. So, so we've talked about, um, good data and how critical it is. And, and so that whole data cleansing, grooming process, uh, absolutely critical. Let's now, um, uh, uh, when you have a good set of data, then um, building an algorithm, training an algorithm, um, uh, determining its, uh, its efficacy. Um, uh, tell the, the, our listeners a little bit about that process that you go through training an algorithm. Yeah. So, um, we have, t we have human annotators that are going over the data constantly. And we're actually using them for various things. Um, one of them is to monitor our algorithms, see how well do we actually perform on new unseen data, which is one of the problems with model training. You want to be good on unseen seen data and not necessarily on the training data. Uh, so you have to always keep, keep a good balance in that sense. Um, they also help curate new data to update our models. And we also use them to, to uh, deliver better value to our clients. For example, if we have some very important um, projects for our clients, then we sometimes uh, take our human enters to re-annotate some of the data and to fix places where the model had a rough time, right? Oh. So, uh, and, um, so how do you end up understanding the, uh, the, the, the quality of the model and, um, and the output? So, so we simply, use the human taggings to, to validate. Just imagine that our model, let's say I trained a model a week ago and it keeps on creating predictions. Mm -hmm. And now I have teams of human annotators that sample some data items daily and annotate them. And I can compare that to the model's predictions and see how good my, how, how accurate my model uh, was. 
but it's not the only question. Determining how good a model is, it's more than one metric that you usually want to track. For example, there are metrics that try to balance um, the total accuracy on all categories. If you have like a very dominant category, like most of the, your data is neutral in sentiment, and you're very, very good, and it's because you're staying neutral all the time, you don't bring value to, to your clients. Um, so we use various different metrics to see that our, our models are actually good. Hmm. And, and now let's maybe move to the visualization of it. And um, because I, I can imagine uh, when you think about, let's say, what you were just talking about, neutral data, a lot of neutral, um, and then you have some hard positive sen sentiment and maybe some loose negative sentiment. Um, how, uh, how do you find the, the, the visualization aspect of it? Um, uh, impacting the uh, the 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 person who's looking to derive the insight. Yeah, it's actually a great question, and uh, to be honest, we're struggling with that ourselves as well. Um, it's not a case where you have like ninety five percent neutral, and that that's uh, that that's not how the data actually acts. Mm -hmm. um, but we are currently we show. All of it. We show uh, positive, neutral, and negative, and we show it on like this one bar uh, with negative on the left side, positive on the right side, and positive red. Uh, sorry, positive green, negative red, and neutral is uh, in the middle um, in a gray color. Uh -huh. And you can compare things because it's normalized, right? If you have like several different topics that people are talking about, then you can see the sort of the percentage of positive, negative, and neutral on each of them and see where let's say the negative is prominent or the positive, but we are looking at other things such as not showing the neutrals because uh -huh. eventually you want to take decisions based on how positive or negative the impact was. But it's not a clear cut and it's a product decision. And basically um, it's a decision that we need to see how our clients react. So it's not a classical data science only problem. It's more, it's more like a product problem in this yeah. Yeah. I I interesting. And uh, so maybe let's shift now a little bit and talk. Um, so you have uh, uh, garnered a number of different patents in natural language and signal processing. Um, uh, so um, what... Uh, uh, was the, the, the process that you went through? Um, did you identify uh, a, a need and a, and a problem and, and, and then you learned that nobody was there and this was a pat patented capability? Tell me a little bit about um, uh, your journey and how you uh, have ended up with a, a number of different patents. So I think it's very company dependent and it depends on the, in a sense, it depends on the policy. Um, in Thomson Reuters, the patent was on a huge new system that we built, mm -hmm. which is some sort of a self-serving machine learning um, framework where you can train your own, your own models on your own data without being a data scientist. So that was like a strategic decision to defend this new framework. Uh -huh. 
Uh, and here it was a different story. We had, um, we, we were told to create an SDK that would help in, in awareness problems, right? Or, or uh, let's say you want to know um, if a door was open or closed in a car. And the reason you want to do that, for example, in mobility case, is uh, it has several uh, implications. One of them is fraud, right? If I'm driving a car and then I get to a point, I say, no, no, the customer didn't arrive and I actually took him and I didn't pay um, my, my taxi fleet, then I can know that, right? Because I can see an event of door open, door closed next to the same place. And maybe I, I won't know that for sure, but if I see someone doing that a lot and I see the door open, door, clo door closed next to the correct location, then, th then this does raise a flag. This does give me some more leverage on, on exploring that. So the idea was to try and see what we can create and in the world of mobility, right? While serving our, our various uh, offerings over there. And we actually had to try and come up with what can we do with the data that we get from, let's say, the mobile phone. Mm -hmm. And you have sensors, you, ha you had a lot of policy changes during the time we worked on it. So we had a lot of different um, challenges creating such solutions in such a shifting reality. Um, and once we did that, we saw that nobody else was doing similar things. And we just started submitting them to the patent office. And this was actually an amazing partnership because we were able to create, I, I think currently it's around 15 submitted patents. And I think that um, some uh, there are between five to 25 more pending. Gear mobility, unfortunately, um, stopped at its activity. But yeah. uh, there's still someone from my team that is still occupied in here working on submitting the rest of the patents. Um, so um, it was just like a great partnership within the company. Fantastic. And uh, and so interesting, the idea of blending data and sound and other aspects together to associate to like a fraud use case. Um, uh, did this individual actually leave the, the taxi uh, at the time they said they did? based on uh, um, not just what the clock reads, and, uh, but what uh, uh, the sound of, of, of the, the car, people speaking inside the car, um, a door closing, as you mentioned. I find that fascinating. Yeah, by the way, it's not only sound. You have so many sensors in your phone that can signal if something happened. So... Uh... Just imagine all the sensors playing together to get a good sense of what's happening. Ah, yeah. And and, and while keeping privacy, right? it's not like that offensive. And privacy was one of the main concerns that we had. We had uh, GDPR started being a major thing once we started working on it and other things. So it's, it's not trivial creating such solutions with... Uh, such shifts in the data world. Uh, absolutely. And, and as you begin to think about that data and data in country, you mentioned GDPR. Um, uh, what were some of the impacts that, uh, that you experienced as, uh, as GDPR came to fruition? So first of all, process-wise, uh, we actually, every 
every feature or product we wanted to build, um, we actually entered into the process GDPR aspects. Um, we consulted with our lawyer, lawyers within the company. Um, there are other technical aspects of GDPR, such as someone wants their data deleted, you have to support it. So we had to consult with engineering to see that it's, it's supported as well. Um, so first of all, process-wise, um, while GDPR entered, there were a lot of other changes, such as limitation on sample rates in some sensors. So uh, some solutions, some sensors became more or less unfeasible. So we had to try and think of other sensors to get similar data. Um, so the problems be became a bit more challenging. And I think this is probably why we stepped into new places because a lot of people didn't have like, these extra weights on them when they created initial solutions for these things. So, so I, I guess, you know, it's, it's, it was like an, a case by case scenario, but process wise, uh, sensor wise, problems became harder. Absolutely. So, so you've, uh, worked in, uh, data science where you've gone from idea to product or the concept to a product. Um, for our listeners that are looking to build out, um, let's say whether it's a new product and um, and apply data science capability to it, or whether they're just starting out on their data science journey, what would be some insights that you would offer our listeners? I think if you're starting something, um, unless it's truly the core, the strategic core of your product right now, and then you're in a totally different scenario where you have to hire experts at the get-go, um, start simple, right? Don't look to create a very good algorithm when you start. Look to create a good system uh, with a very simple algorithm. And this way you can trial and error and improve and actually see that you're improving something. If you're going to do it the other way around without the necessity of doing so, you might create false uh, impressions because the system isn't complete and you're going to get actually good results or bad results from the algorithm, but you have a bug along the way that sort of um, obscures that. Yeah. Um, so simple, as simple as possible, every step of the way. So uh, simple yet uh, where you focus your energies what what I heard is is where you focus your energies is on the process. Um, the the better the process of going from data data induction grooming uh, and cleansing process data presentment through to the algorithm that process you want to refine the idea itself you want to keep simple is that. Yeah, more or less. You you want it's not only the pipeline. When you build these solutions, they're usually part of a product. Um, try closing all the pipelines. Put it in the product, if, even if it doesn't serve any real client, but make it in a way that you can just flip a flag and then it will start serving clients. See that it works, that it gets reasonable results with the simplest algorithm you can get. Take take an average if possible. Then start making more complex models. Mm -hmm. and see that they're justified. If you could have solved something with a simple average and you built a very 
complicated neural network, it's simply bad practice. Right? And uh, problems usually don't solve themselves by averaging out the solution, but that's probably not far from where you should start. Very good. And if I'm an individual and I want to learn more about data science, where would you suggest somebody starts? That's a great question. Um, my, my, my best advice is usually go take the time and do an MSc or a PhD because it's going to be very hard to uh, complete some of these things in the industry because over there you're actually learning how to research stuff right and when it works you don't stop you have to understand why it works where it works how it is it, how is it compared to almost anything out there um, in the industry when it works you should carry on to the next thing unless you have a very good reason to continue and continue improving it. yeah um, if you don't have that privilege then there are various sources out there on YouTube, on uh, Coursera. Um, I think they have programs from entry level up to uh, to, to being a, a good data scientist. Uh, in Israel, we have like extensive programs such as IDC, where it's like a four month program. They take almost anybody um, who's interested. And it's like a four months boot camp to become a data scientist. And they actually produce very good graduates. So I'm sure there are other things like that available, available around the world. So I would look for these as well. Absolutely. So what, what, what I heard is, is if you can invest in yourself and learning, go the route of, uh, of, uh, say a PhD. Um, and if not, there are other means of, of coming in. But at the end of the day, there's something that I, I learned in, uh, in data science long ago. The, uh, a person much smarter than, than me shared there's value in negative information. And you really have to take that lens to data science. Um, part of the, the research process is determining what works, but what doesn't work. And what doesn't work informs you about what could potentially work. So um, that value and in negative information, I think, is one of the most difficult things for corporate America to embrace. <laughs> so I, I think it's hard for everybody, even for the researchers, uh, him or herself. Uh, yeah, you want I, it to be right, and uh, yeah, yeah, and it's uh, research is a frustrating process most of the time, um, yeah. but it's very rewarding once it works. So, um, so yeah, I agree. Awesome. Well, uh, uh, I very much appreciate the discussion today, Ofri. It's been terrific. I think you've offered our listeners uh, lots of amazing insights um, uh, as they look to further their digital science journey. Um, so uh, any parting thoughts? Uh, I really enjoyed our talk and um, looking forward to, to hear it. Ofri, thanks so much. Happy 2021 to you. You as well. Thank you so much for your time.